Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 53 of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Ben, we're back again. Morning. Pleasure to be here, Nate. Always, always. Looking so, forward to it, buddy. Um, first off, I normally like to do a little intro and then hit on sports. But I have to say, I'm um, <clears throat> for those of you who can't see me, I'm, again, wearing some Bills attire today. It is the inaugural week of the NFL for the 2020 season. Um, but first, we'll get into sports in a second. But first, if you're a first-time listener, hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get the latest content as soon as we release it every Friday morning at midnight, Eastern Standard Time. Leave us that review. Speaking of which, Ben, we, we got an, another good review here in last week. This one comes from Pino16. There's like three O's in there. So I don't know if they're like a big Pino Grigio fan or what. But uh, Pino titled it Favorite Podcast and says, I love all their content. It's almost as if they know the problems I'm having that week. If you're new to brokerage, if you're new to the brokerage world and want to really understand the business, this is the podcast for you. I've gotten so many pointers I've been able to apply daily, whether it's building a lead, rapport, or salvaging a relationship. Bad news only gets worse with time. That's one of our quotes. Words to live by. Can't say this enough. Thank you, Nate and Ben. Well, thanks, Pino. That's a good I one. I appreciate that. Exactly. I think we both do. And, and it's, it's more, I think, for me, and not to speak for you, but it's nice to know that, you know, what we're putting out there is useful and helpful and applicable to the listeners out there. So if there's anything that you've appreciated, please share that with us. And if there's anything that you'd like to hear that we haven't covered, please share that as well. Absolutely. So let's get into sports real quick. Obviously, NFL is kicking off this week. So a couple, couple of things I wanted to hit on here. Number one, we're back. There's no, uh, no fully fan-filled stadiums this year. Actually, the Bills, I'm pretty sure for the first month, they've already said no fans at all, and they're going to revisit, I think, in October. Um, but I did do a fantasy draft this past weekend with some old coworkers, some old coworkers. And have you ever done a draft before, Ben, in NFL? I haven't. I almost got in one this year, but didn't. I did early in the days when fantasy first came out, but honestly, I mostly would bet watching the games I wanted to watch as opposed to. Yeah. So what I think is funny about fantasy leagues is you have people that, excuse me, people that draft with their heart a lot. So like we have, we had a couple folks in the league that are big Cowboys fans and they were drafting Mm -hmm. like Dak, Zeke, you know, all these big players had a, Patriots fan, believe it or not, I'm, you know, able to sit in the same room as him, but you know, he was picking all the Patriots guys, got a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. He was pulling Brady and Gronk. Um, and even me as a Bills fan, I took Bills for my defense, which personally Buffalo has a pretty solid defense. And uh, I'm actually, I'm looking at my, my roster right here. I also picked up John Brown as a wide receiver, although Buffalo tends to spread out the usage of their um, they're wide out. So maybe not the best pickup, but I, I drafted with my heart a little bit. Um, but tomorrow night, so it's Wednesday. If you guys are listening, you'll hear this Friday morning. So the game's already going to be over, but Thursday night, we've got Kansas city playing against 
Houston Texans. So that's the inaugural game of the year. Obviously, the Super Bowl champ always gets the primetime first game of the season. I think that's going to be the Chiefs all day long. Buffalo is starting off um, with a home game with no fans, but a home game this Sunday against the New York Jets. That's usually a, a fairly common game. We usually play a divisional game to start off the uh, season, but you know, followed up by week two in Miami. So I think, I think Buffalo is going to start off with a nice solid victory. And uh, if Josh Allen can keep his accuracy on point, it's going to be a hell of a year. Um, so that's my football take. I'm, you know, excited and a little nervous to see how the COVID restrictions affect home team gameplay and, you know, really just a fan experience watching it on TV. So um, what's up with golf? I know FedEx cup, what do we got going on? Dustin Johnson took the big $15 million purse. So huge week for him. Um, awesome to watch. He held onto the lead, I think all the way through Sunday at 21 under, but also just had a phenomenal month. I think his total earnings over the past four or five weeks were just shy $18 million. Not a bad, uh, not, not a bad little stint there. So speaking of the FedEx cup, um, I love golf watching golf throughout the year in the golf season uh, I've always been confused by the FedEx Cup. I actually had a a good friend of mine as a, a PGA golf professional out in Denver, and I had the chance to golf with him a couple days ago while he's in town. And he was trying to explain to me how the Cup works. Obviously, PGA Championship is normally played earlier in the year. We saw it later this year when they restarted everything. In a nutshell, <clears throat> what? How does the FedEx Cup work? There, I know there's four majors, but what? How does it all? actually transpire in a nutshell so basically there's a point system that leads up to the final i think this this year was like the final three tournaments okay and then the equivalent of those points goes through whatever their algorithm is or whatever their equation is that they turn into strokes and then they start that tournament with that equivalent of strokes to start it. So, you know, I think Dustin started the tournament, you know, last weekend at three under and then consecutively. So he literally started in the lead. I think Justin Thomas was behind him and so forth. So all those points get aggregated and then they basically hand out the strokes to handicap the tournament based on everything that those players did up until that point. And then there are cuts because it's a smaller field too. So it doesn't have the same format. You know, you don't have a cut and lose half the field going into the weekend. But So you got you to gotta really kick ass then in that last tournament if you're going to make a comeback. Yeah, but the cool part is, I mean, I, I think it's really similar to, and I, I don't watch racing enough, but I think it's really similar to how they do kind of the points as it relates to racing. and how The points with like NASCAR racing, is that what you're saying? I believe that's kind of okay. where, you know, you have different laps, times, and then pole positions when you start. I think it's pretty much the same premise. Speaking of racing, we had the uh, Kentucky Derby over the weekend, too. I don't know if oh, you I saw that one. I didn't catch that, really. Yeah, because normally that one's back in May. But, yeah. you know, like a lot of other stuff, it was delayed. Um, the I forget the name of the horse that won, but it was, it was um, the trainer, Bob Baffert. He, he now has won his sixth derby, so he's tied for – the most derby wins ever. Um, but interestingly enough, before the race, one of Baffert's other horses um, went a little crazy, knocked the alternate or secondary trainer off, broke his arm. And then actually in the winning winner circle afterward, Baffert got knocked down by another horse, I believe, thrown on his back, but he was okay. So just a little bit of drama at the derby, but that's wild. Uh, yeah. 
but I uh, hope everyone out there got their mint juleps, wore their cool hats and, and got to watch it. So, but anyway, that's, um, that's sports today's episode. We've gotten a lot of requests and this comes through a lot through the website and people reaching out to us directly. People are, you know, some of our audience is people that are fresh or new to brokerage or they just started or looking to get into it. So we wanted to do an episode really on the basics of brokerage to clear up any misunderstandings of what a broker is, why we exist, why this industry operates the way it does, what's what, who's who, all that good stuff. So Ben, I know your background is very, uh, very much related to this coming from day one, no experience, learning with a company and going through a training you know, program or whatever sponsored by your company or, you know, within your company. Yep. Um, I've worked on the agent side and most of the folks that I work with have come in with experience. So I haven't really had to, to think about the basics that much, but it's very important. Cause a lot of folks that, you know, we, you know, we speak to here and we have a conversation with our newer, they're learning and they're trying to grow. So this is a great topic. I'm excited for it. Me too. I mean, and a lot of the feedback, a lot of the people that have reached out to us from the show that I've connected with and vice versa, um, you know, this topic comes up a lot is, you know, some of the very basics that I think, you know, as you progress through your career, you kind of tend to take for granted. So we thought this would be a great opportunity to dig into some of the, I guess, foundational issues, if you will, of, you know, what a broker is, what the basic functions are, what you can look for, what that, what makes sense. And the, just some of the big headline definitions that, you know, get thrown around on a daily basis. Absolutely. So let's get into it. All right. So the first thing I want to touch on, and again, if you're seasoned, bear with us here. We got some, we got some stuff for everybody in this episode, but we're going to start off pretty basic. So what is a freight broker? And what's funny to me, and I know we've talked about this before. If you're ever out to like dinner or hanging out with friends and someone that doesn't know brokerage asks like, you know, what do you do? with your job and they don't really understand brokerage. Uh, and I've heard it so many times, like my own brother who, you know, I've been in this industry for years and years and years. He's still like, he's still just now grasping what brokers do. And then even more so where I fall into that, we're into this industry, mm -hmm. right? So what is a freight broker? The way that I like to explain it is, uh, first of all, the concept of a broker overall, a broker in any industry is usually just a middleman, right? Yep. Um, at its intermediary. At its core, yeah. Intermediary, middleman, coordinator, someone that's, you know, they connect two people. So a stockbroker connects someone that is selling stock with someone that wants to buy stock. A mortgage broker connects a uh, mortgage company or like a lending company with a buyer that needs a mortgage. Uh, an insurance broker connects a, uh, an insurance carrier or provider with the customer that needs to get that policy. Freight brokers do similar, a similar type of um, thing, but it involves shipping freight. So in a nutshell, the broker's job is to connect a shipping company with a trucking company that has the trailers and uh, equipment to haul that freight for them. Um, it's a lot more in depth. There's a lot more uh, handholding and babysitting and nursing the transaction than other brokerage type of industries. Um, but that's what it is, right? So brokers connect shippers, 
with trucking companies and we call the, them carriers. Yep. And to kind of clarify that and to go, and I, and I love the analogy, you know, the mortgage, the insurance, right? There's an open market, right? So a lot of stockbrokers connect, even if it's you or I or an institution with the market, right? They're not, these, these institutions, people aren't going to the market. They're not going to the exchange to buy it. They want to just purchase and they're willing to pay a portion of a fee to have that transaction facilitated, right? For a freight broker, what they're providing to the shipper is access to the open market, right? The open market of carriers, exactly. right? The carriers that are looking for loads, that are actively picking up loads, looking for the next loads. It's an open, it's an open market and it works very similar to an over-the-counter trade, like they call it an OTC and some other markets, right? It, it operates very similarly. I mean, when people first explained it to me, they had said, you know, it works very similar to kind of Wall Street a hundred years ago, right? You know, the early, yeah, early 20th yep. century, we're just people negotiating back and forth and arguing back and forth to try to get to the right number and then to jump to the next one. And that was always my favorite kind of analogy because that's what it feels like. If anybody's trying to cover a hot lane or a hot load that you have and your line's just blowing up because you got a good rate on it, I mean, you might have 12, 13 carriers on your line and you're working through them to try to find the best fit for the shipper, for yourself, for the carrier. And there's a lot of fluidity around it, which I think is exciting. That's yeah. the most enjoyable part of the job. So I want to also hit on what a broker is not. So what isn't a broker, I guess, is another way to say it. And the reason I want to bring this up is depending on where you're at in your career, if you're taking, I guess, the next step as a broker, a lot of companies, like in my case, I, I work with agents, right? And an agent is typically someone that has brokered before and already has customers, they already have those shipping companies. Now, some companies will offer a training program for someone that's brand new. They're totally green, entry level, right? But usually an agent or some other brokerage companies only want to hire experienced folks. So, we'll usually ask, you know, what kind of experience do you have in brokerage? And a lot of people that have never brokered, they might think that they have experience because they've done other things in the industry. So, what is a, what is a broker not? All right, so um, a dispatcher, right? A broker is not a dispatcher um, per se, right? Because typically let's when you- Let's clarify hear, that. Clarify yes. what I, I want to hear your definition of what a dispatcher is. And I want us to talk a little bit about like why that is the case too. Yeah, so- a very common question. Yeah, so typically a dispatcher, when I hear that phrase, a dispatcher is usually an independent person that represents carriers, right? So they yep. make their commission- from finding a load for a carrier. So where do they find that load? Most of the time, they're going to get it from a broker because the broker really owns that customer relationship. Now, that being said, a dispatcher might have direct relationships with certain shippers. But that being said, they make their commission by providing a load to the carrier. So they might, you know, they might get a load for a carrier and get a 10% cut of whatever the carrier's rate, pay rate is for that load. Whereas the broker is actually directly marking that rate up and then reselling it at a cheaper price to, or I guess they're taking their rate and marking it down and reselling it um, for a lesser amount to the carrier. And that's where they make their commission. So they're, they're very similar, but they're not always the same. And the reason being dispatchers typically don't have customer relationships directly. They usually rely on brokers to provide them with available loads. You right. follow and me on that? Wanna- 
Yep. And then if you want to think about it this way too, right? The dispatcher's value is to the carriers, right? The carriers then can focus on what they do well all day long, which is moving the freight, right? Without having to deal with looking for their next load. Absolutely. So another one too is traffic manager. So I've had people that work directly for a shipping company and they think, oh yeah, I've been broker and I move freight all day long. But in reality, they work solely for one customer. So a traffic manager is typically the person tendering loads out for a company. So let's say you work for a lumber company or a steel company or a produce company or grocery chain, whatever. A traffic manager is the one that usually gives the loads out to a broker or in other cases to directly to an asset-based trucking company. So you're not brokering because you literally it's your freight and you're just awarding it to somebody. And so you're not, you're not connecting a third party with another third party. hundred percent, right? You aren't connecting two parties. You are the source of the business. You are connecting to look for people to just provide the service that you need, right? Exactly. Next one would be a, an asset-based carrier uh, or like a sales representative for an asset-based carrier. So whether whether you work for a large full truckload trucking company or an LTL company, if you are representing a single trucking company as a sales representative, you are selling typically directly to a customer or a shipper without a broker involved whatsoever. So your your only available assets are your own company's trucks. So that's what that's going to be a big difference there. Um, you also might, as a, as a um, representative for an asset-based carrier, you might be getting loads from brokers as well. So let's say you've got customers directly that are shipping in certain shipping lanes, but when your trucks are then you know, halfway across the country and away from your home terminal, they, you know, then you're going to have to go to a, uh, a freight broker and get that backhaul, which is basically getting a load to get you back to your uh, your company's origin. So an asset-based carrier sales representative is definitely different from a broker in that aspect. Um, two other examples that I wanted to hit on, and these are a little bit more advanced, but uh, freight forwarders and NVOCC. So uh, a freight forwarder has different licensing and capabilities legally that freight brokers don't have. Freight brokers typically operate domestically within the United States and typically operate over the road trucking whereas a freight forwarder can operate internationally. There's some customs brokerage involved. Um, another another uh, example that's a little bit different is an NVOCC. That's a non-vessel operating common carrier. These are typically the, if you look at like a, a, a steam ship line company or a um, ocean vessel company, they're going to own containers. They're going to deal a lot with import export. Now the overall logistics realm has a lot to do with, importing that stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, we're going to see a lot of MVOCC and freight forwarders involved in logistics globally, but domestically the freight broker itself is going to be the party that coordinates that domestic transportation over the road from point A to P from point A to point B connecting the actual shipping company that owns the freight and the trucking company that's going to haul that freight. So that is what a broker is and what a broker is not. All right. So the, the next, next, topic here is why do brokers exist? So just like any industry, like we talked about with mortgages, insurance, stock market, uh, brokers overall provide value, right? We're not just there because we want to be a third party and make a little bit of money. 
there's a value add that comes in the broker relationship hopping in there. So um, like you mentioned before, Ben, we, our primary person to service or our customer per se is going to be that shipping entity or that shipping company. Okay. Now again, whether that's a steel company, lumber company, produce, grocery chain, you name it, right? We're providing value to them by introducing them to the open market of trucking. And then we're also providing value, value to the trucking market because a lot of times these smaller trucking companies, they don't have the resources, time, or manpower to go out there and find their own freight. So they're going to rely on the network of brokers who have all the shipping connections to ensure that their trucks are filled and rolling and making money for them. So it's a value add relationship essentially. What else would you add on that? Well, and I I think that's important to realize is that both sides are equally as valuable. And I get asked that question a lot, you know, what matters more, the carriers or the freight, right? Well, they're both equally important and for different reasons at different times of the year, but it really is the value that they provide to both, right? Because if you think of the role of somebody as a shipper, right? You know, in the earlier, you know, we just covered, let's just say you work for a produce company. You have a certain amount of loads that have to get out the door every day or every week, right? What you don't also have the ability to do is to have enough time to call out to individual carriers to see who's empty, to negotiate those rates. It's just too time consuming. Anybody that has done the role of a broker realizes that, you know, once you hit about 20, 25 loads a week, like that's about it. You need a second person. Well, that looks very similar on the shipper side. There's only so much that they're going to be able to do before they need help. They need to be able to find more capacity and there are limits to assets. You know, we've talked about this before. They're predictable. They know where their trucks are, but if you've got a load that's got to go out last minute as a shipper, you need the closest empty truck to you that meets all of your procurement requirements. That's the value that a broker brings is, hey, I'll bring that, I'll bring that carrier to you. I'll make sure that they've been vetted, that they've got the insurance, that they meet everything that you require, and we'll make sure that they're on time. And then we will check call it to make sure that they deliver your load on time, right? That is a big value add back to the show. Oh, shipping. yeah. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of putting out fires and keeping track of uh, intransit visibility, location, uh, scheduling, pickup and delivery times. I think that if you can put one word on it, it's synergy because if, you know, all together, right, the work that the carrier does, the work that the broker does, the work that the shipper does, when we all work together in a synergistic relationship, everybody is more productive and ultimately more profitable. So um, you can't do it all yourself. That'd be like if you try to eliminate everybody and a shipping company just wanted to have their own trucks, well, that's great, but what happens then when you don't have more freight to keep your trucks loaded to get them back home, right? You can't get those backhauls. Or if a carrier says, well, I'm just going to go get one customer. Well, then what happens when you don't have freight to get you back to your terminal? You know, same situation. Or if a broker says, well, you know, I'm going to get my own trucks and service my customers directly and not use the open market. Well, then what happens when you don't have available trucks for, you know, for your customers and also what happens when you don't, when you don't have freight to get your, your own trucks back. So it's all, you know, it's all a matchmaking process and you know, that's really the, the name of the game. So and you covered, you covered a lot of really interesting things just in there, right? Even if you just think about the basics, right? You know, that's what this episode is about is a truck picks up a load and goes somewhere else, right? Well, that person still needs to get back home at some point. Even if they run a few other loads throughout the week, there's only so many hours they've got to run no company has the same shipping lanes in reverse. I mean, Walmart and I've read it, I'm pretty familiar with them. They're very efficient at keeping their trucks, their assets 
always full by moving inventory and they basically kind of look at their trucks in a way that they're also shifting inventory. But most companies aren't that large that have enough locations and other distribution centers to reload a truck that they sent to the other side of the country. Yeah. And um, so you bring up a good point. I don't want to beat that horse on it, but yes, a large company like a Walmart, or I've seen like Wegmans as a a local grocery chain, Mm -hmm. or I guess regional grocer in the New England area, um, you'll see a lot of their own trucks and they'll go back and forth from distribution center to distribution center because they can haul their own freight back and forth, use their own trucks and be efficient. But those companies still rely on outside carriers and brokers for anything outside of what they can do efficiently themselves with no waste. So whether it's their inbound freight from a distributor to their facility, you know, they don't have stuff to send back to that distributor. So they need to hire a broker to get the truck to bring their stuff in. Um, You know, same thing goes with any other company that's in that kind of niche where you've got a lot of your own facilities, you can do that. Like US mail is one of them. You'll see a lot lot of US mail trucks that go from DC to DC and DC is distribution center, but they're still relying on brokers for any of that business that's outside of what they can do efficiently. Um, So that's why we exist. It's an efficiency thing. It's value add. It's, you know, it's relationship building. One more huge reason why brokers exist is that most chippers, right? develop all of their SOP, which are their, you know, standard operating procedures for shipping, right? Whether it's their procurement requirements or whether it's how they create their BOLs or whether it's how they create their loading dock, you know, standard operating procedures independently of everybody else, right? So, if every shipper that has the business that needs picked up, right, operates in its own little silo and kind of independent of the shippers across the street, there is a need for brokers to be able to understand that because imagine if, you know, the average carrier definitely works for more than one shipper on a weekly basis. Oh yeah. If they had to understand how every individual shipper worked, how their BOLs read, what their loading procedures were, how to schedule the on-time appointments, how to schedule the delivery appointments, right? It's very complex. There's a lot of value in brokers. And I know it's always looked at it as a sales side, like, hey, you know, how much business did you get? But there's a lot of value in understanding how that shipper operates, right? Because when you think back to the other side, all of these individual carriers, what is it, 90 or 95% of the trucking capacity in our country is made up of 20 or less carriers? Yeah. They're not huge conglomerates. These aren't, these aren't giant companies that are moving most of the business in the country, moving the goods, moving the produce and moving the commodities around. These are a lot of, you know, five, 10, 15 truck companies that are doing this. And to be able to work with this many different shippers requires somebody to also be able to liaise between them and explain these to the driver so that they can pick it up and get from point A to point B and then get back to load it again. Absolutely. There is one thing we miss, and I don't know how I've missed this. Brokers shop the market and can find the best price for what's available. So that's another thing too. And there's not always a million options. Sometimes there's only one option and that's why the broker provides value. But if there's 10 options, they're going to shop the best rates for you. Same thing goes in any other brokerage environment. So value add right there. Cool. Capitalism, free market. If you don't have more than one option, you're not going to have efficiency, right? Exactly. So let's, I want to go over a couple of definitions here and these are a little bit more advanced, but you're going to come across these in the brokering world. And the the two big ones are co-brokering and double brokering. And we've talked about them before. One is 
okay and acceptable and one is frowned upon. So co-brokering, okay, co-brokering. And again, I know we talked about this before. Co-brokering is essentially when you have two brokers that both act as the middle person or middle entity in that transaction. So one broker might be really strong and have a lot of freight and they might rely on a second broker to expand the available capacity and that value add to provide a better service. And that first broker, which is usually called broker A, has a really, really good rate and there's a lot of room for margin and there's the ability to um, still resell that load to a second broker who can still provide service and get the rate where it has to be. It's a little confusing, it's a little advanced, but that's co-brokering. You'll see it a lot with companies that are more like freight forwarders or import export where they have a brokerage authority, but they're they're making their money on the import and then they're gonna resell that load to another broker for the actual domestic portion of it. That's one place you'll see that a lot. Um, Other areas are sometimes if you've got maybe LTL pricing, which is very um, volume driven. So one, an LTL brokerage might have very competitive rates and they can resell those rates at a cost plus model to another broker who can then offer those that price to their customer. So it's kind of a piggyback. Um, it's totally legal, it's totally okay, acceptable. As long as the value is being added, You'll when you know that it's not good to do is when the pricing gets really high and it's not competitive. That's when that's not a good situation. Yeah. Um, and the other one, the other definition here is double brokering. That is when it is not agreed upon, it's being done maliciously or hidden. You'll typically see a trucking company do this, right? Broker gives a load to a trucking company. Trucking company says, eh, I don't, you know, I don't want to use my assets for this load. I'm going to re-broker or double broker this out to another trucking company or carrier and have them haul it. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it. We'll just hope that the invoices all come through clean. No one knows about it and all is good. Um, that is really bad. You're going to get, you, you know, you, you're setting yourself up to get blocked or blacklisted as a carrier for doing that, but that's double brokering. So remember, co-brokering, it's all on paper. There's a contract in place. It's very legit. Double brokering is malicious. It's being done behind someone's back and you usually get caught. Well, and and I'm gonna walk through an example too, just to clarify, right? So let's just say like I have a customer, my customer ships steel, right? I negotiated that rate for this week. Let's say we're doing five loads a day, right? and I've been looking for capacity, looking for capacity. I'm on my fifth load of that day. I can't get it covered. It's a really tight lane, right? So what typically happens is I'm going to reach out to another broker that I know works in that area, right? So a broker should also have relationships with other brokers because they're going to have capacity you don't and vice versa. So in that example, I would just say like reach out to some local brokers I know that ship maybe in like the New Orleans area. They do a lot of business down there. I don't, I can't find a truck on DAT. I can't find a truck through any of the load boards. I call the local guy and say, hey, I know you're aware of some of these local guys that probably don't have their trucks posted up. Can you get this picked up for me? And they're going to say, yeah, absolutely. What do you have in it? Now, the assumption and the negative connotation is that I'm going to keep most of that money and then the truck driver is going to get less. But there are just as many instances where I have co-brokered freight to a local broker and took a loss on it for my shipper, right? 
You know, the lane might be paying 1500 or two grand. That local guy might say, yeah, I can get somebody to pick it up, but it's 2,300 bucks. Well, you know what? I want to save face and I want to add value to my shipper. That's my customer. Hey, I'm willing to take one in the chin to my shipper. They never know the difference. They got their load picked up. It doesn't make any difference. I'll probably make them aware that, hey, you know, it's a give and take relationship. Hey, I had to pay an extra 500 bucks to get this load picked up. No worries, all good. Just wanna let you know that the lane varied that much in a day so that they can also understand what the market does. That's adding that value. That's really being a consultant, not just a transactional broker. Exactly, and you brought up two things. And if we're talking basics here, I just wanna clarify them. So you mentioned DAT and load boards, all right? And you also mentioned rates. So really quick, DAT is, it's one of the load board platforms. Uh, we've talked about different load boards in the past. A load board is simply a, a typically a software platform online that br- connects brokers and carriers. So brokers will post their available loads on there. Trucking companies will post their available trucks on there. And those load boards will match up or help the broker match up and the carrier match up with each other to get each other in touch and bring everyone together. So that's what the load board is. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, is rates, right? So we got to talk about how do brokers actually make their profits and actually stay in business. So as far as pricing goes, you've got to have a margin in there for the broker to actually stay profitable and stay in business. So in a nutshell, we'll say we're operating at a 15-ish percent margin across the board. You're going to see a, a shipping company pay, let's say $2,000 to haul a full truckload of their product from point A to point B. The broker finds a truck and a 15% margin on that would be equate to a $300 profit. So they're getting paid two grand from the customer. They've got to sell it to a truck for $1,700. And then they operate all their overhead and profit off that $300 profit, which comes out to 15%. So that's where the broker makes their money. Makes sense? Makes sense. Yeah, makes, makes perfect sense, right? Sense. And, and there's a reason for it. And, and I think a lot of the negative connotation usually from the carrier side is, oh, these people are making money to do nothing, right? They just picked up the phone, gave the load to me, I did all of the labor, and they're making 300 bucks for answering the phone, right? The reality is, is you alluded to it, there's a lot that goes into that $300, right? Or 150 or 75 or whatever that margin is, right? The phone calls, the hours of phone calls, the check calls that the broker does in the middle of the night, the, the last minute the instances that they jump to go get a truck to go pick up, right? The phone calls that they've got to make to establish that relationship and the phone calls they got to make to put the right carrier on it, right? All of that goes into that margin. It's not just, hey, they picked up a phone, a shipper went, sure, here's some business, and they picked up the phone, and the next person they called was the right truck, and uh, 30 seconds, there you go, just made a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, so the, and you got to think, it's, you know, it goes deeper than that, too. So, that the reason that a, a, a customer will pay more than the truck is getting paid is, like you said, all that little stuff right there, but also shopping those rates, having a track record and history and recommendation of carriers and which ones to use, knowing the, you know, customer satisfaction on them, delivery times, um, claims ratios, things like that. And then, like you said, all the little flyers that you have to put out, dispatching, check calls, making sure that's going to deliver on time, you know, all the little nuances that go along with it. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of work that gets done that goes into why that profit exists for sure. Um, so let's take a look at, you know, we, we kind of talked about what a customer is and what a carrier is. So 
an example of, of what a customer might look like, and we mentioned a few before, it could be building materials like lumber, steel, stone, marble, uh, you name it. It could be a produce company that's shipping vegetables or fruit, you, you know, anything in that realm. It could be uh, something in bulk like fuel or um, I've seen farms that ship milk or anything in that, you know, along those lines. It could be um, a small mom and pop shop that's just shipping small pallets of something. Let's look at an example of a carrier. So you're going to have basically the two big realms are going to be your full truckload and your LTL, which is less than truckload. So full truckload is exactly what it sounds like. It is a full tractor trailer, typically a 53 foot box van or van, they call it filled with one customer shipment from the front to the back of that trailer. Whereas LTL is going to be uh, usually smaller pallet shipments that are all pieced together from multiple customers that all go on the same truck. So, you know, most of the time we're, we're focused here on the full truckload side of the house. When we talk on this show, um, LTL, we've dabbled in a little bit, but full truckload, some of the big equipment types you're going to see, um, like I mentioned, your dry van, it's, it's the most common one you see going down the road. Um, flatbed, that is your open deck, just flat, usually 48 foot um, trailer that has stuff stacked on it, usually strapped down, might be tarped. Um, you'll see some other maybe refrigerated or climate controlled. Yeah, it's step decks, RGNs, oh, yeah. open decks. There's, yeah, like even the flatbed alone has so many variations, but anytime you see something that's going down the road and it's open air and you can see it, you can actually see the freight or the cargo, that's typically some variation of a flatbed. So, well, what I wanted to add, and, and the reason I wanted to add that was, you know, I've got a couple questions is, you know, people wanting to know, well, how do I learn about these different types, right? How do I need to know what's important? And I think, Open deck shipping is just a great topic in and of itself, right? Before you are going to take any open deck load, you want to be asking yourself a few things, right? One, what are the dimensions of the load? What are the dimensions of the deck they are asking for, right? So you want to be cross-referencing that. And, you know, you could use good old Google to just take a look at it and say, hey, how big is a step deck? Is the step deck going to be big enough? Is it going to be high enough? Is it going to be wide enough? Or do I need a full flatbed? Or do I need an RGN, which stands for removable gooseneck? Those are typically lower to the ground, which you've seen like track hose and things that they drive up on them, right? So they all have their different uses and variations and for certain reasons because shippers load them differently. And then once they're loaded, they have different requirements in regards to what you need to secure the load, whether it's pipe stakes, whether it's ratchet straps, whether it's tarped, four foot, six foot, eight foot, 12 foot tarps and how you're going to protect the load on the open deck, right? So we're not going to dig a ton into it, but just be aware that if you are going to be doing some open deck shipping, that you want to clarify what the shipper's asking you for and why. If they're saying, hey, just send out a flatbed, you want to specifically ask, you, you want a flatbed, not a step deck, correct? Because the last thing you want to do is to book a load, get a deadheaded driver in there and all of a sudden they go to load and go, Ah, oh, the load's an extra 18 inches. It won't fit on a step. We need a flatbed. Or you send a flatbed and they're like, well, it's too tall and our loading dock won't make it. So we need oh, a yeah. step and we've all been there. So some things you can do on the front end. Communication, man. That's the, uh, that's the, the key takeaway here. So, uh, and, you know, it comes with experience. The more you do and the better experienced people that you work around and, and that you have within your circle or in your office, the more you're going to learn and you're going to get experience working with different types of equipment. So typically most folks start out with 
the basic dry van or the basic flat standard flatbed. Um, some people start off in the climate controlled reefer, which can get a little confusing because you got to worry about temperatures and all that good stuff. But um, those are the three main ones. All right. So one more topic I want to hit on here. And again, this is just the basics. You know, this is a high level overview is we, we kind of talked about what a broker is, why we exist, different equipment types, the whole transaction. Let's talk about a day in the life of a broker in a nutshell. So Ben, you sat in the trenches for years and years and years doing this and you're coaching folks um, in this realm right now. So every day is different, but in a nutshell, what is a typical day or maybe a few hours look like for a broker? Because it's not just one part of the industry. You're, you've got all different things going on between prospecting and booking loads and check calls and claims and yada, yada. What's an average day look like? I mean, I'd say to walk through an average day, I'm going to start. I mean, likely I was in the office between 6.30 and 6.45. And I would get there about an hour before usually anyone else was. Because one, that was my me time. That was when I could organize my day. I could go through the loads that are on the road. I can get a good idea for what I think I was going to expect and really kind of take some time to focus on what I, my agenda was for that day. You know, once the day officially starts, say, you know, eight o'clock, we're going to check call all the loads that are over the road. So go through my assistants and make sure that they know where every one of the trucks that are over the road are. Are they on time and are they on track to make their deliveries? After that's going to happen, I'm typically going to reach out to all of my customers and ask them, hey, what their day looks like, if anything came up since we talked yesterday, what the status of some of the shipments are, give them updates on all those, and then pretty much email all the shippers all the updates if they didn't have them already connected to our TMS. Then I'm going to try to block out at least about an hour and a half to two hours to prospect. So that hour hour or two late in the morning is going to be for prospecting. I'm going to have those names and lists in front of me and I just should be executing, dialing through the people I either need to follow up with or new prospects that I wanted to reach. Quick lunch break, sometime a little bit longer, sometimes not at all, depends on the day. Going into the afternoon, same thing. We're going to go back through check calls, make sure everybody's over the road. Likely at some point in that afternoon, I've got more business coming from my customers, some fallout, some loads that they need recovered, some things that have happened. We're going to be working through the load boards to make sure those get all covered up, make sure they're loaded, end the day with check calls, and then reach back out to all of my customers again before we head home and make sure that anything that they needed throughout that day was taken care of and that anything else they were planning to have picked up by any other broker wasn't still on their dock. If it was, it's a late night. We're going to get those covered and get those picked up. And then, you know, maybe you're there till seven, eight at night. Ideally, you know, you want to get out at six. Yeah. So obviously it's a very fluid day. And like we said, no day is the same. They're all different, but it's a big mix. And I like that you mentioned prospecting for new business because at some point your customer is going to have a slow period or, you know, you might lose a customer. Um, you got to always be prospecting and, and looking for that new business. So, um, that's a day in the life. I, I like it. So that's, that's brokerage 101, just some basics. And if anybody has specific questions or they want to dig into something um, generically or on, a, on a basic level, let us know. Leave us a, you know, leave us a message on the website. Um, would love to hit on some of these um, more entry level or basic topics for all your listeners. Um, so let's get into trending social media. We got a few questions here that I wanted to hit on. So, Ben, we hit on dispatching earlier. Now, somebody asked, is it illegal to dispatch 
for two companies. Now remember, dispatching, you're not a broker, you're representing carriers. So when I say carriers, plural, it kind of answers the question, but what do you think here? Can you dispatch for two companies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've worked with people that have dispatched for five, six, and the more capacity they had, the more value they provided back to me as a broker. So not only is it legal, but I would say it's advised. Encouraged, for sure. So absolutely. Um, Now, the next question is, what equipment type or trailer type would be used for a 53-foot high cube container? Now, a 53-foot high cube container is typically what you'll see at a port coming off of a ship, or you might see it on a rail car. All right, so a 53-foot high cube container is typically going to be a power-only move, which is there's no trailer, but the driver needs to get a chassis to put that container on. And usually if you're at a port or a rail yard, there are chassis leasing companies there. So that would be posted as a power only move with a chassis required, uh, unless it's a drainage company. You know, a drainage company might have their own chassis and that's a great move for them because you're basically just having wheels and some metal on top of it and the container is getting loaded directly on top. But to go to that, you know, true to form, the topic of the episode being, you know, basics of brokerage, chassis fees have daily rates. So if this is the first time you've got this question, hey, can you pick up this 53-foot high cube? There are more questions you want to ask on both sides. One, the carrier side, if they have a chassis, what their daily rate is on the chassis, and to make sure that your shipper is aware that there is a daily charge on that. Maybe it's just a short haul. They typically aren't that long if it's going to require a chassis, but that's something out of the normal full truckload realm. Some additional questions you'd want to ask before picking that load up. Definitely. I, don't, I like that question. That's a good one. Um, last question, and then we'll wrap it up here, is someone, you know, I get this one all the time. I'm interested in starting a freight brokerage. Where do I start? Call and Nate. What's that? Call Nate. <laughs> um, so if you're brand new and you've never done it, I always say you got to learn it from somebody else first. Okay. Um, if you're already brokering and you're interested in starting a your own brokerage, I would advise you to look at the agent model before anything else. That's typically going to be your lowest overhead cost and take, you know, taking away all the back end tedious tasks like billing, claims, uh, all that stuff that you don't want to deal with. Uh, But if you're brand new and you've never done it, I encourage you either go work for somebody locally in your area, which is the main way to do it, or get connected with people in the industry and start asking questions. And maybe you can do some virtual work for them and learn it. You know, you can use Zoom, you can use, you know, conference calls, whatever to communicate with them, but you got to really learn it from somebody. Don't just go out there and, you know, Google stuff for free and then try to go apply for your authority. It's not that simple. No, hundred percent. And I mean, there are a lot of resources out there. I know Nate and I are working on putting together a Facebook group so that people can, can connect with each other, find mentors, be able to ask some of these questions. I personally coach a lot of people in the industry. So if that's something you are interested in and want to learn more about, you can reach out to us either through LinkedIn or the website. And if you're a broker with a full book of business, reach out to Nate. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ben. You definitely reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to get folks you know, educated on the agent model and see if it's the right fit. Because some people it's a great opportunity for and some people it's not. So um, yeah, definitely, you know, learn from somebody. And if you're, if you're kind of in that next step, what do I do? That's what we're here for. We're here to have a conversation. And again, the Facebook group, we're going to get that launch. It's going to be, it's a big discussion based um, platform. We want to have 
questions asked, you know, maybe the hard questions, the debatable questions, but um, we want to have a platform that's not just the podcast. We want to be able to have the entire community here talk with one another. So good questions. I don't know if we want to edit that out because I don't know if we're going to keep that name right because can't we I'll, not? I'll rip it right out. Don't worry. All right. And uh, no, I think that's pretty much it. You want to wrap it up? Yeah. So good episode, Ben. You know, that that's a little bit of a different angle for us to go very low level and basic, but it's important. You got you to gotta talk about that stuff and, you know, answer some of the, the more simple entry level type of questions there. So um, final thoughts. I think, I mean, the same way that you and I learned it, I think there's this, you know, hesitancy for people to want to just reach out, pick out the phone and ask the question for fear of, you know, looking stupid or whatever it is. But the only stupid questions are the ones we don't ask. I learned everything I know from somebody else. I'm sure you learned it from reading it or somebody else teaching you it as well. We were that person at one point too. The only way to get answers is to ask questions. Absolutely. So finally, the moment I've been waiting for, Sunday, Bills hosting the Jets. My prediction, 24 to 10, Buffalo wins to start the season 1-0. What's the line on that game? I have no idea. <laughs> it's probably like minus three or something like that, but we'll see. The, the first week's always interesting. So I'll be looking forward to it. Yeah, but hey, until next week, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of the Midnight Freight Broker Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to leave a review and check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any content that you've heard in this episode. Visit us on the web at www.midnightfreightbroker.com. And feel free to contact me if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency. And if you'd like to learn more about what I do or are interested in us running a complimentary sales training for your sales team, please reach out through LinkedIn or our website once again at midnightfreightbroker.com. See you all in the next episode.